We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 123. Our guest today is a fantastic equine veterinarian, and he has so much experience. Just wait till you hear his story. He has a vet clinic in Texas, and he is the vice president of the American Association of Equine Practitioners. Something that's really cool about him is he is one of the country's leading equine humanitarians. With another vet, he started a supplement company called Full Bucket, which has the mantra of be good and do good. And for every Full Bucket product that is purchased, another will be donated to treat horses and donkeys and mules in developing countries that are really needing extra supplements and nutrition to help them do their job. There is an estimated 100 million working horses, mules, and donkeys around the world, and many of which are lacking proper nutrition. You know me, and you know that one of the main goals of the Equestrian Podcast is to talk about areas of the industry that people either don't know a lot about or don't talk a lot about, and I feel like this is a huge one. So I loved having this guest on. Let's hear and learn from him, our guest today, Dr. Rob Franklin. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you do a lot of things and are a busy guy, so I will get right to it, but I would love to hear about how you first got into the equestrian world. Yeah, Bethany, that's a great question and one that I probably share my interest in veterinary medicine with with a lot of other equine veterinarians, and, and that is that most of us grew up riding in some capacity or, or spent some time with horses. My Formative years, uh, late teen years, uh, I remember spending one summer up in Cody, Wyoming and did a horsemanship program there at a ranch where we really had a diverse training from starting two-year-olds to learning how to shoe a horse and float a horse's teeth and pack animals back into the wilderness, back country, and just a really great experience for a 16-year-old. And it was during that time that we had an equine veterinarian come out for a couple of calls to castrate colts, soap lacerations, that sort of thing. And and it was at that time that I was first really exposed to the profession. And I I would love to find that veterinarian. I, I don't know who he is, but I'd love to just say, hey, you know what, you set, uh, you set my path. And so it was that point that I, I started to pursue my dream of becoming an equine veterinarian. Amazing. What what did you do at that point in time as far as, did you jump right into schooling? How old were you at that point? Yeah, I think I was uh, probably going into my junior or senior year in high school. I grew up in Texas, so obviously I knew Texas A&M was going to be a great program, but I was looking for an equine sciences undergraduate program. And at that time, there were only a couple. Smith's College Women's School, they had an equine program, I believe, University. And so I went for undergraduate in Colorado State and going as an out-of-state student, that gets very expensive very quick. So yeah. I did end up transferring back into Texas A&M and, and did my, my veterinary degree there and, and finished that about 22 years ago, 1999. Cool. Awesome. At that point in time, you were, you know, starting your practice. Were you in, were you in Texas at that time? I know now you have a vet clinic there. What did that kind of look like from when you first started until now? Yeah, you know, equine veterinary, um, 
we we have a very long uh, learning curve, and I, and I say some of that's learning, some of that's developing the skills and experience, but some of it's also gaining the trust from from horse owners. Horse owners are very different than uh, companion animal in, in terms of being very very choosy about their their equine veterinarian so we we go through a period where we've got to develop those those stripes to be able to to work on the nicer horses and and a lot of that comes from mentorship and and training i elected a, a more formal route of training and in as much as i did an internship which is the first year after vet school and that's a voluntary uh, position some sometimes people go straight into general practice and then many of us especially equine veterinarians will go and do an internship and that's where you spend oh 80 to 120 hours a week very very long hours very very low pay but you're 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 working with some of the the best veterinarians you're you're doing lots of regular day and after hours you're just getting a, a great exposure to a large number of cases during that time and and many people will go into practice after their internship, I elected to go. And so I did my internship in Ventura County uh, in Southern California, which had a nice diverse population of both English and Western disciplines. Mm-hmm. And then I, I elected to go on and become a, a specialist. And so I did a three-year residency at the University of Florida and and ended up becoming a board certified specialist after that. And, and that's, again, three more years of extremely long hours and extremely <laughs> low pay in, in all in hopes of just really honing your craft of uh, becoming an equine veterinarian. Cool. This may be a stupid question, but you have the, the DVM behind your name. What is D-A-C-V-I-M? Right, right. <laughs> so you'll see that with a lot of veterinarians and are with a hand, I should say a smaller population of veterinarians. And that means that you're a diplomat of a specialty program. So for, for equine, we have four different, actually, I guess we have five different specialty programs. Mine is the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine. So okay. that's the ACVIM, so diplomat of that. You may also see people that have their board certified in veterinary practice, equine veterinary practice. That's more of a, a generalized specialty. And then you'll see your theory of genealogists. Those are the ones um, that are highly trained in reproduction. Hmm. And then, of course, you have your College of Veterinary Surgeons. That'd be your surgeons. And, and now we have our sports medicine and rehabilitation specialists as well. So that's probably the newest equine specialty program. But those those different designations indicate someone has done an additional residency and board certification examination, which is a you know, a couple day exam, you have to have published scientific research in a, in a journal, uh, you have to have done presentations at a national level. And, and so there's a lot of hoops to jump through. But again, the, the end product is someone who's, who's highly specialized in equine practice. Amazing. And then having your practice in Texas, you probably have a lot of options as far as the type of disciplines that you work with. Have you over the years like narrowed in on a discipline or do you still see a full range of horses and disciplines? Well, I, I certainly see a, a full range where I'm located. I'm, I'm located in uh, Fredericksburg, Texas, which is, is sort of Texas's version of Napa or Sonoma. Okay. It's our, our wine area. We've got um, lots of uh, pretty horse farms and, and it's just a, a beautiful place west of Austin, north of San Antonio. And so in this area, we have 
pretty much all the disciplines, cutting, reining, hunters, jumpers, dressage, backyard horses, Arabians, Tennessee walkers. I mean, you, you wow. name it. It's, it's just a lot of p- people come from different areas and, and sort of move their operations here. But, and, and I'm very content working on various disciplines. And, and that's really started in, in my training in, in Southern California. Of course, when I was in at the University of Florida in Gainesville, we saw a, a large population of, of thoroughbred horses coming mm-hmm. up from, from Ocala region. And then, but we also had all the, the winter horses, the, the show horses that, that we, would, we would treat. We also had a large population of, of Paso and Peruvian horses because there's a large Hispanic uh, population in Florida that is into those horses. And, and that was great. After uh, I finished residency, I went and practiced in Australia for a few years. And that was another great exposure to some new disciplines. In that particular area, north of Melbourne, we had a a number of thoroughbred farms. We also had a lot of standard bred farms in which coming from the South really uh, common. And so I, I got used to working on standard breads. And then, you know, Australia also maintains that diverse English and, and Western comp- competitive field. And so after that, I moved back to Ocala and, and did more of, of, of the same Northern Florida sort of uh, stuff. And then back over to Texas and and practice in Weatherford, and that's very, very cutting horse centric area. And, and so, probably eighty percent of the horses in Parker County, where Weatherford is, is are in the cutting horse discipline, which is great to get that hyper focused on a on breed and discipline. But again, for the the past six years, I've been down in Fredericksburg, and and this is. Um, home for me where I grew up in the hill country and and I've taken that sort of worldwide tour of different horse areas and then you know started practice here and and that's been it's been a great resource for me because I can connect with people I understand what what all these people have are doing what their goals are, what they enjoy, and uh, also what the common ailments are with with the horses that are in those disciplines as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You also have recently been elected to become the vice president of the American Association of Equine Practitioners. So tell me a little bit about how that came to be and what you will do with this role as being, you know, part of this governing body. Sure, sure. Uh, it's it's a great honor. It's something that it's a, it's a volunteer run organization in, in terms of the veterinary. Of course, we have a, a tremendous staff that's based in Lexington and this is the largest equine professional organization in the world. So we have members is where the American association of equine practitioners, but we have members literally around the globe and we are seen as the, the thought leaders on equine uh, veterinary medicine. So wow. it's, it, it is a, a wonderful organization, one that I've been involved with since being a, a student in veterinary school. And then basically, you know, throughout my entire career, I've just spent a lot of time volunteering for the organization. So different committees, different assignments, task force, and, and just trying to improve the, you know, our, our goals with the organization are to provide education to the veterinarians and to really stand up and, and for the, the welfare of the horse. And so we do that in terms of helping politicians understand the, the, the struggles that, that the horse goes through, whether it's a wild Mustang or that's a Kentucky Derby prospect, you know, there, there's welfare issues that are involved and mm-hmm. that our expertise lends credibility towards making comments on those and and then also training making sure that we've got the 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 best state of the art 
science being presented to equine veterinarians. And we do that through a number of different meetings. And of course, many of those have become virtual in the past 12 yeah. months, but, but we have conferences and such. And so it, it's a great honor. I'll spend this year as the vice president and then assume the presidency in 2023 and represent the, you know, be the face of the organization and, and equine veterinary medicine around the world. So that'll be, that'll be a great honor. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on that. That's exciting. And I think that you have so much experience in so many different areas, not just geographically, but discipline-wise and, and all of the different experiences that you've been able to have as vet that I think that would be such a good role for you. As we are jumping into the winter horse show season, have you ever spent hours on Facebook looking for boarding options that fit your needs and chasing after people to make everything happen every year? Artemis wants you to spend more time riding than online. Artemis is an all-in-one tailored platform for competitive riders on the go. Use Artemis to make boarding reservations, purchase and lease show horses, view vet records, and utilize vetted photographers along with other equine services. You will love Artemis's streamlined approach in serving each discipline. They do all the hard work up front in supplementing the due diligence process and everything you need is in one place. Artemis has already launched its hunter jumper service and next up will be dressage and polo. For the trainers out there, Artemis also offers a service called Virtual Rain that is live right now. It's a must-have management tool for every trainer to schedule lessons, keep track of clients' horses, supplements, and more. So check all of this out at their website, ArtemisEquestrian.club. That's Artemis, A-R-T-E-M-I-S, Equestrian.club. Thank you so much, Artemis. Let's get back to the episode. Is there an area of the industry that you are passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian community either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk a lot about? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, the impetus for the, the answer to this question, it came with, with a book that my mom sent me, oh, probably uh, more than a decade ago. You're familiar with Blake Mikowski, the the founder of Tom's Shoes, Bethany? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So so Blake wrote a, a book sort of in the heyday of Tom's Shoes when, you know, they were what everyone was talking about. And it was called Start Something That Matters. And so I have a colleague, a, a veterinary surgeon named Keith Latson, and and Keith and I for roommates in vet school and, and fraternity brothers in undergraduate school. And, and so I've known each other for a long time. And we had an interest in starting a business sort of in the mid 2000s. And, you know, we, we sort of ruminated on this idea of what would we do? What would we do? I, I read this book and it, it was very formative to me in terms of having this entrepreneurial idea and then also looking for uh, a way to make the world a better place. And that, that really, you know, following Blake's sort of uh, model in terms of, you know, he, he made some great shoes. People swear by them that they look cool, but he was also able to put a lot of shoes on, on kids' feet and, and, you know, kids that run around barefoot are, are prone to a number of diseases and parasites. And, and so he was really able to make a, a huge statement by doing that. And the and a big difference. Yeah. And so Keith and I, you know, we're kicking around this idea of, of starting a nutritional supplement company. And 
on the heels of reading this book. And I said, Keith, you got to, you got to read this. And, and then uh, he and I were getting ready to, along with my wife, we were going to run the Long Beach half marathon. And, and so we were planning that and, and my wife and I were going to go visit Keith in Southern California and sort of spend a little vacation time after that. And it was about that time. Uh, and it's funny how these seeds are, are planted in your head and you're looking for opportunities and you're not sure where they're going to come out. But it was during that time that we, came up with, or I, I was exposed to this opportunity to go and do some volunteer veterinary work in Central America. And I told Keith, I said, I, I don't know what's going to happen here, but we need to leave right after that half marathon. And we need to get on a plane and go to Mexico because we're going to do this. And I think that we're going to have we're going to have a lot of answers after we do this trip. So that's exactly what we did. We went down and we spent a week doing volunteer veterinary work in Central America. And we saw the things that we could really help with. And the, the, the answer to your question is that I want equestrian people to know is that while we get so much pleasure out of our horses, we have come a long way in the past century in terms of not using our horses for work, but using them for pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so even though that's only, you know, three generations ago that, you know, our, our grandparents, their parents, you know, were literally using horses for uh, transportation and, and we've forgotten about that. Right. And, and we think of horses as, as purely a, a way of pleasure. The, the thing I want people to know is that there's a hundred million working equids out in the world right now that are doing transportation, hauling garbage, hauling crops, hauling milk, and, and just serving as the sort of Toyota pickup for the developing world. And that's a huge wow. number of horses. And, and guess what? Those horses don't receive basic veterinary care. Mm -hmm. And so that it was a gap that Keith and I knew we needed to stand in. And so it immediately energized us. We saw that we were able to provide dental care to these animals. They're heavily parasitized. We're able to provide dewormers to these animals. We were able to work with farriers to improve their, their trimming. And, and you should see some of the homemade shoes that get put on these, wow. these horses by with rudimentary you know, tools, people are literally trimming their horses' uh, hooves with a machete. Oh, gosh. And, you know, doing the best they can, but yeah. they're, they're ignorant, not because they're not intelligent, but, but because they haven't been afforded the, the education of how to properly care for a horse. Right. Um, we work with saddle makers to improve the harnesses. I mean, these harnesses, whether they're, they're you know, pack saddles or they're actually hooking up to carts of various sizes and uses that everything is just homemade. You can imagine. And, mm -hmm. and maybe there was a pack saddle that was made for one horse and uh, that horse died 30 years ago, but that, that same pack saddle is just being passed around and the ill-fitting saddles, the saddle mm -hmm. sores, it just will keep you awake at night. So we saw all that, but the background of what we saw was malnutrition and there was very little we could do. We could uh, even immunize these horses for tetanus and rabies and, and such, but then we could deworm, we could do all those things I talked about, but we really didn't have anything to help them with nutrition other than to try to educate people. People didn't know how to you know, feed their animals. They don't have access to the common equine food stuffs that we have. So they literally are, are gathering food for their, their animals 
these animals are working throughout the day, they're sweating, they're being tied up, you know, and so they don't have the opportunity to graze. If they are grazing, they're grazing where a bunch of horses have been tied up for mm-hmm. for a long time. So the parasite load is extremely high. And it, it just was something where the, these, these animals just need some help. And so Keith and I came back from that and we we, that's when we started this nutritional supplement company called Full Bucket. And we made the same Tom Shoes brand promise. You know, instead of providing shoes, we were going to provide a nutritional supplement to try to meet the demands of these working animals, these 100 million working uh, equids around the world. And we were going to try to do that by selling nutritional supplements in the U.S. So these are things that Keith and I have come up with for um, treating our patients here. And then we make a unique nutritional supplement in Central America that we distribute with our local partners. So we're not shipping things down there. We're actually making things down there. And then we're allowing those partners to, to go into the communities and to educate people about feeding and caring for their horses and donkeys and mules. And then they're providing with this, this macro and, and micronutrient supplement that we make for them as well. And, and so it's, it's a great pleasure for us to be able to, to partake in that. We continue to go down and provide not only the nutrition supplement, but we lead teams of veterinarians go into these areas. We're largely working in Guatemala. We've worked in Nicaragua. We've worked in Mexico, but we, we do probably most of our work in, in Guatemala. We've also been able to meet a number of local veterinarians, help with their training, and, and even we've allowed them to come and do internships in the United States and work with some of the people that you know, volunteer down there. So it's been a great ex- cultural exchange for us, you know, sort of leaning in and, and to work with people that are trying to care for these, these working equids. So cool. Oh, I love that. Where can people get more information about Full Bucket? We've got, uh, we've got a, a great video story on our website, which is fullbuckethealth.com or fullbucket.org. And they can, you know, see our, our nutritional supplements that we have. Their veterinarians are probably quite familiar with them, uh, as well as we've been trusted uh, by the leading universities and practices in, in terms of providing those nutritional supplements. And, and you can get more information about, you know, sort of the, the crisis that's going on every day while we sleep with, with people trying to uh, care for their, their working horses, donkeys, and mules. Amazing. And then I know, obviously, this last year has probably been a little different, but I know typically you organize trips with volunteers down to Central America to do some volunteer work and provide that care to those horses in need. It, can people find more information on that? Or how do you usually select volunteers or go through that process of creating groups to travel down there? Yeah, so so most of the groups that we take down there are veterinarians or they're in the veterinary profession. So they may be veterinary technicians or mm-hmm. assistants or something like that. So in, in those, we work with another organization that I helped uh, start, which is called the Equitarian Project. And so that is a combination of, of an equestrian and a humanitarian, so an equitarian. And they there's also information there as far as volunteering on the on the Equitarian website. And, you know, there are some projects that take, you know, people of, you know, without any especially training and, and to go and assist. And, and we have certain slots for that as well. It's a smaller 
population, we typically have teams of about 10 people. And so we, we may take one or two sort of non veterinary trained people to come in and help. But the Equitarian project or Equitarian initiative, I should say, is the proper terminology, that they have a network of projects that may provide in-person volunteer uh, experience for those people that are uh, interested. And so the Equitarian initiative is sort of an umbrella for projects such as ours that occur uh, really ar- around the world. So we've got different veterinarians leading teams um, all over the place. And then are you returning to locations that you've been to previously working with the same people or are you picking different areas to help out? Yeah, so we do both. You know, you never really reach a point of saturation in terms Mm -hmm. of, you know, these horses uh, come and go, the owners come and go. And, uh, you know, you may be down there for a week or two, but, you know, those animals, you know, may be so busy in work or or, you know, that they can't come to the clinic that you're at. So we, we see some repeat customers, or I say customers, but repeat patients, but we, yeah, they're, they're not paying anything. So that way we won't really call them paying customers, <laughs> but we also look for new areas that we can reach. And so a lot of what we're doing is working with the local veterinarians, the local sort of community leaders or elders that we can try to train in everything from horsemanship to, to how to feed and, and just general husbandry. And so some of that information gets sort of left behind and they get, you know, left to, to manage their, their, their animals and their community with the help of our our NGO partners. So we work with a British charity called the World Horse Welfare um, Project, and and they have also have local NGOs that they work with. So we we partner with these different non-governmental organizations to provide a stream of of care, so that we're not just popping in, doing something, and then going away and and leaving these people largely unaffected. We we like to support them. Of course, we. We feel like education is the most sustainable thing we can provide people. These animals do need nutritional help, but they need, you know, information education can be a, something that's passed on very easily and spread very easily that results in a very large change in the way that people care for their horses. So we feel like that's a very important thing. We support our, our NGO partners as they go around and do that, and they help distribute our nutritional aids as we, as we you know, it, it, in between the times that we're not there, they're out making sure that those animals are getting a constant supply of our nutritional supplement. And with Full Bucket, what have you realized is the ideal concoction of supplements to be giving these horses that you are seeing? Um, what are the go-to items that you like to send? Yeah. Yeah. So, so we worked with a uh, a nutritionist, an equine veterinary nutritionist in Central America to help us develop, you know, and recognize, develop the product in recognition of what some common sort of deficiencies might be. And so there are okay. some some micronutrient deficiencies in terms of minerals that we will provide. A large part of it, Bethany, that they need is they need salt. Yeah, and I was wondering if that was the big one. Some, it's amazing. We don't really put any flavoring in our in our project in our product, but you can just put a handful of it in your hand, and the animals are so salt deprived mm. that they're just uh, you know they'll just eat it readily out of your hand. Wow. And you can imagine from doing work uh, constantly and not having you know they're not putting salt licks out. These animals aren't able to go out and forage for a natural salt lick that that would be out there. So they are 
you know, salt deficient and our body has to have salt. So salt is a big deal as well as the basic protein or amino acid called lysine. Lysine is a very important amino acid and many animals that are under or malnourished are, are deficient in lysine. So I would say lysine, salt, and then many of the micronutrients and we're talking about the minerals and such that we put in there to, to support the animals. Animals that have a healthy gut and that are being fed, you know, a reasonable diet can can synthesize many of their own B vitamins. We always worry about B vitamins, but the gut actually makes, or the microbes that are in the gut make a lot of those B vitamins. So we don't have to supply them a lot of vitamins. We do put some in there, but it's not so much a vitamin deficiency that they're dealing with as much as it is a basic building blocks, such as lysine and then the salts. Got it. So cool. Well, Dr. Franklin, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, walk me through some of this and explain it. I think what you're doing is so incredible. And as this next year has started, I wish you all the best. Well, thanks for the opportunity to talk about uh, the working horses and the AAP and things that are motivating to me. And I also wish you a happy and healthy 2021. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.